descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show these facts i'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to make an announcement and let y'all know to tune in at the end of the episode. Don't quit listening because I'll be making several announcements to our patron members and our fans and giving some shout outs and stuff like that. So stay tuned at the end of today's episode. With that, let's get started. On June 20th, 2003, I was working as a deputy in the Uniform Patrol Division for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. However, on this day, it was a Friday, I was off duty, having worked the Wednesday night and the Thursday night before this day, and I lived in the town of Albany, Louisiana, which is the easternmost town in Livingston Parish, right before you cross into Tangipo Parish, maybe the town limits in maybe a half a mile from the Tenshaw Parish line. So I was living um, in an apartment, kind of in the heart of town, if you will. Let, let me describe Albany to you. This is classic small town America. It only had one grocery store. It had one local hamburger joint, Erties, where everybody would go for the your hamburgers and your French fries and your ice cream or whatever. It had the one gas station, which was, I believe, a junior food mart at the time and had the absolute best fried chicken. (laughs) Anyway, junior food mart had the best fried chicken, and I would always get a four-piece spicy and a large fry. But Erdy's had the best hamburger, and there was one little grocery store, and I didn't do much cooking at the time. I was a bachelor. You had the high school and the middle school and elementary were right there in the heart of town together. And almost directly across the street from that is the police station and the fire department. 
And next door to that is the Justice of the Peace and the Slash Barbershop, et cetera, that I mentioned on the Highline episode. And it was just small town America. They had another little convenience store. I think it was just just south of the town limits. So, But it was small town America. There was a, one diner that was open early in the morning where all the locals would meet up and had their coffee and their breakfast, et cetera. But it was closed by the end of lunchtime. And Highway 190 ran right through the north edge of town from east to west, as well as a set of railroad tracks, which were right off of Highway 190. And Louisiana Highway 43 ran north to south through the town limits. And that was a major thoroughfare, y'all. It's just a small town. Everybody knew everybody, and Friday night football was big, and baseball, and, you know, just small-town America, really, really good people, very low crime rate. And the police department consisted of the chief, Chief Russell Hutchinson, who had been there forever, and I think is still there today. And it has to be one of the longest-running chief of police in the state of Louisiana, and Assistant Chief Ronnie Gregoire, and they were full-time employees. And then they had two part-time employees. One was Leon Winstead, who's an awesome friend of mine. I actually stood in his wedding. He was single on June the 20th. He, he was single, and he actually had the apartment two doors down from mine. So we were just super tight, running buddies, and great guy, great cop. But his main job was he was an engineer on a riverboat on the Mississippi River. But on his days off, he would do the Albany Police Department, Not certainly not because he needed the money, but because he loved to be a cop. And the Albany Police Department's call signs, like mine was LP361, Livingston Parish 361, my unit number. Theirs were AP, Albany Police, and their numbers. And Leon's was AP4. What a great cop. We used to have so much fun. And then the other part-time was Robbie Ellis, and he, he was a full-time flooring guy, and he did it pretty much the same thing, not because he needed the money, but because he loved policing. Now, at the time, on the east side of the parish, which is Livingston Parish, was split geographically east to west for law enforcement purposes. And the east side of the parish, generally, the sheriff's office would have two deputies, 10-8, or on duty at a time, sometimes maybe three if, if the shift was full. And so if you caught any kind of major call over on the east side of the parish, the town cops, which were Albany and Springfield and Killian, well, oftentimes that was your only backup. You know, your partner might be the east side of the parish geographically is huge. You know, you might be way up north 20 miles from your partner when he catches a 911 disturbance down south and they didn't have any backup. So the town guys would roll out and back you up. So we became really, really close with them. And I was, of course, I was really close with the Albany guys. Not only did I live there, but go hang out when the calls would slow down. Sometimes I would stop in, hang out at the Albany PD. And Chief Russell was just funnier than hell. And Ronnie Gregoire was a pretty good character also. And, of course, like I said, Leon. And Robbie was good guys, right? Just small town. So, well, actually, let me tell you this. At nighttime... The full-time guys would go in, but either one of them would be on call. It would be either the chief, Russell, or the assistant chief, Ronnie Gregoire, and they alternated it out, 
right? So the chief told me one time, he said, Woody, I always make my schedule to be on call when I know you're on duty. He said, I want to be on call overnight when you're on duty because I know you'll never call me out for anything. He said, if anything happens in town, you come and handle it and you arrest them and I, I don't have to worry about anything. He said, but you believe one thing. If you have to call me out, somebody's going to jail. Russell's a super good cop, man. He's just old, 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 old school and patient and never see him get excited about anything. And he went in a time where everybody has semi-automatics. Russell had a, a old revolver. I remember that clearly. I was like, Chief, why don't you carry a Glock or, or a Beretta or whatever? And he said, because the revolver will never hang up. He said, it'll never jam like your pistol will. Point taken. So back to it on June 20th. 2003 it was hotter than hell i remember that from the night before we're really getting into the heart of summer and july and august get a little bit worse but it was a wasn't a cloud in the sky it was a bright hot day and i had gotten off that morning at 6 a.m and that would be the one day friday a week that i didn't have to go in for court for people that are arrested to testify etc usually monday tuesday wednesday and thursday i'd have to go in to court and handle whatever cases, motions suppress or whatever, testify and whatever the cases may be. But Fridays, I looked forward to because I knew I was going to be off. And I would get in and have something to eat and watch a little TV and go to bed about 7, maybe 8 o'clock a.m. and generally wake up 2 or 3. So I was up and I had my radio on charge. Now, when I would come in my door, I'd take off my gun belt and I had a nail inside the door and I hung my gun belt on the wall, right? And it's a really heavy thing. So you got two pair of handcuffs and, and your ass baton and your freeze plus P and your two extra magazines for ammunition and then your duty weapon and your flashlight and shit. The belt itself weighed probably five or six pounds. You had all that stuff, and it's a lot of weight. But I hung it inside the door on the wall, and then I would take my radio off the belt and put it on the charger on the countertop in my kitchen, which was a small apartment. And so I would turn it on when I got up and listen, just kind of always in the background was the radio in case something bad ever broke off. But uh, that afternoon about... 445, something like that, the Livingston Parish dispatch came over and said, all units, there's a 64G in progress at the Hibernia Bank in Albany. Now, if I stepped outside my apartment door, I could throw a rock almost and hit the Hibernia Bank. And at the same time, the Albany Police Department, and that's how close we all were together, Less than a quarter mile, I would say. So I threw on some jeans and shoes, and I grabbed my radio and my gun belt, and I ran out the door and got in my unit. About 10 minutes earlier, inside the Hibernia Bank, there were four employees. One whose initials I'm going to use, C.I., then Another lady named Teresa Rogers and another lady, Michelle Creco, K-R-E-K-O, and Lucy Henwinkle were working inside the bank. 
and one customer came in, Michael Threeton. He came in to cash his paychecks Friday afternoon, right? At the same time, they had an older model Cutlass, uh, Oldsmobile Cutlass vehicle pull up to the bank. Now, this bank parking lot, you couldn't pull, when you pulled in, you could not park directly in front of the bank. The bank faced Highway 190, but it had grass in front, and you had to pull into the parking lot, which was, if you're facing the bank, parking lot's on the right-hand side. You have to park on the right-hand side and get out and walk the walkway to the front of the building. And along that walkway is the ATM, which is on the exterior of the building. But the, the Blue Olds pulls up in three black males get out dressed in all black as they approach the door the three males put on black ski mask actually as they were entering the door and the last one was pulling down his mask enter the bank and they start screaming stick up stick up get down motherfuckers and it just point the guns in the employees faces one of the males jumps the counter immediately and starts to empty the cash drawers the other male put the customer and one of the employees down at gunpoint on the floor third male who appeared to be the leader of the ring made ci get on the floor and told her to get on her hands and knees now meanwhile they're screaming and hollering and cussing and the employees are begging for their lives. And the one that made CI get on the floor on her hands and knees. I mean, it's kind of an awkward, not an awkward, but a odd instruction for a robber to tell somebody to get on their hands and knees. Now, CI was an attractive female. The robber told her to get on her hands and knees. And when she did, he reached down and started rubbing her on her genital area and when she screamed he said shut up you fucking bitch i'll fucking kill you and put the gun to her head once the robber behind the counter cleared out the drawers they demanded to know who the manager was which was Teresa rogers and the one who was rubbing ci's private area her genitals took rogers to the vault door and demanded her open and open the door bitch open this vault bitch and rogers was so nervous that she was fumbling to get the vault open and the robber puts the gun to her head and says you fucking bitch i'm gonna blow your fucking brains out if you don't open it and so she was able to open the door but she like all of them later stated she thought she was going to be killed and she got the vault door open and they were able to make entry into the vault. They grabbed a bunch of money and then they ran back out the front door. While it right before they ran back out the front door, a Livingston Parish Sheriff's deputy who was getting off of work, she worked in a courthouse, Miss Linda Brown, pulled up and is getting out of vehicle preparing to walk up to the ATM and lo and behold running out of the door come three males with dressed in dark clothing wearing ski masks and carrying guns in large bags full of money thank god they didn't see her or or shoot her or whatever she didn't carry a firearm and like i said she worked in the courthouse and was a really sweet lady 
So they jump into the older model Cutlass and drive off eastbound on Highway 190 towards the Tangipahoe Parish, Livingston Parish line. And Miss Linda saw that the vehicle had a temporary license plate duct taped actually onto the car. It was a Wisconsin plate, okay, a temporary license plate from Wisconsin, which stood out like a sore thumb. And so they speed away, if you will, towards the parish line. Now, at the same time, the employees, of course, hit the buzzer for 911. It goes into the dispatch for Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And that's when they made the call out this 64G in progress at Hibernia Bank. And like I stated earlier, I'm running out the door as quickly as possible and pull up to the bank. I mean, I jump in my unit. I hit it. I mean, I, I'm there. But when I'm pulling up, both Chief Hutchinson and Ronnie Gregoire are pulling up at the same time. And they go in and, I mean, everybody's shook up. Those ladies really thought they were going to die. An armed robbery is actually a crime of violence, even if they don't shoot anyone. And it's considered a crime of violence in the state of Louisiana because it mentally it injures you okay it's mentally violent and these guys were classic on that they came in they established control by force which is putting even though it's not physical force they didn't touch them at that point putting guns in people's faces and making them get down on the floor then you got the one pervert who likes the way ci looks and makes her get on her hands or knees and takes the time to violate her sexually by rubbing her private area, her genital area. And when she screams, he shut you fucking bitch. I'll blow your head off. Right. Anyway. So they're headed eastbound on highway 190 towards the tangible line. Now everybody's starting to respond, right? When that call goes out, they did it on both tacks, which means the west side of the parish was on tack one. That's just radio channel show. And the east side on tack two. Well, when that goes out, they 1033 the net for tack two, which covered the east side, which means emergency traffic only. So everybody else switches over to tack one to do their regular communications. But everybody is going to respond to this. All your town police, Killian, Springfield, Livingston actually has its own police department in the town of Livingston and whatever guys were free on the West side. Plus everybody like me that worked for the sheriff's office or any type of law enforcement that, that had their radio on, they're all responding. Right. I mean, it's not a question of getting paid or whatever at this time. Just you, you do the job because you love it. So we get there and Miss Linda tells us the vehicle and the direction that it, that it drove away, which y'all on the parish line, if you take Highway 190 towards the parish line and right before you get to the parish line, you take a left across the railroad tracks onto what they call North Cafe Line Road. It is a long, straight road. It's probably three to four miles long. And as you go down, it's pretty rural at the beginning of it. There's like one bar that's only open on weekends that's on the left and a couple houses spread out on the right and left for the first mile or two. Then it starts to become more populated and turns into one of the only what's kind of known as the hoods in Livingston Parish. And it just 
gets into poor area, if you will. And that's where we had a lot of trouble with our crack dealing and stuff like that. That one section of North Cafe Line Road. There are two roads that turn to the right. There's no roads that go to the left off of Cafe Line Road. It's just a field or homes. The first road that you come to is Ed Brown Road. And you take that right and Ed Brown Road actually runs from east to west or actually west to east for like not even two blocks. And then there's the parish line. There's a four-way intersection. And right there, if, if you cross over the intersection that through the four-way, that's Tangipo Parish. Or you can take a left. It's a gravel road. You take a left and it runs just like North Caffeine Line from south to north until it dead ends probably two miles down. If you pass up at Brown, about a half a mile up, there's one more unnamed gravel road. You can take a right on. There's new houses on it that, that comes back up to the Ed Brown Road. Okay. So we couldn't say for certain, but naturally that's where we're going to go look first. Plus we alerted Tangipo Parish Sheriff's Office. And a lot of times when we'd have to catch calls down in the hood off of Cafe Line Road and we were by ourselves, if we would get out and have somebody at gunpoint or whatever, Tangipo Parish Sheriff's Office deputies, because the line is right there, would be our backup, as well as the Albany police that they were available. If they weren't, the, the dispatch would call Tangipo Parish Sheriff's Office and have they and they would have their guys respond. So everybody's looking for this vehicle with the temp license plate. And Ronnie Gregoire and I roll that away. So we turn on North Cafe Line Road and we're jetting down and we come to Ed Brown and I tell him, I say, hey, I'm going to peel off on Ed Brown. He said, I'm going to go up to the gravel road. And, you know, the next one I told you about. So I turn on Ed Brown and then I hear not even... I don't make it to the four-way, to the parish line, and I hear Assistant Chief Gregoire on the radio screaming, I got a vehicle driving away. I got one to hit the woods. The car is here. So turn and run in that direction. He gave a description of the vehicle. He actually got the license plate off of it. What happened was when he turned on the road, that vehicle was parked there, those cutlass with the temporary Wisconsin tag. Well, why is he parked on that street? Because... There's no one on it. It's not even a street. It's just a little, like a gravel pathway that con- that connects the two roads, and it's very secluded. And when he turned onto the road, there was another car parked beside the Cutlass. And when he turns on and he sees them, he's like, oh, shit. Man, he knows they're armed, right? And he calls it in, stops. And he's taking the defensive position by getting out with his pistol. And two of the males jump into the car that was parked beside the Cutlass and that car hauls ass. Well, it didn't come my way because I was coming down at Brown the other way and I didn't see them. So they must have took that left and then got back on North Cafe line. But one of them, you know, because when Chief started screaming commands and had him at gunpoint, he panicked and hit the woods. But he was carrying bags full of money and so we try to get there and set up a perimeter for the one guy that we have instead of chasing the vehicle we don't know where it's at but he had the license plate for it and called in a bolo or be on the lookout for that vehicle and so we try to set up a perimeter and people responded and once we had the perimeter set up what we thought was a good perimeter we approached the vehicle to clear it now inside the vehicle the wisconsin's temporary plate duct tape to it 
there were numerous bank wrappers for money that like take a stack of a thousand dollars or whatever all the ones that obviously they pulled there and they stopped and they were unloading the money peeling off the wrappers from the money etc and trying to divide it up but there were bank wrappers in the car from hibernia bank numerous that had been torn there were two pistols which turned out to be cap guns and then there was another pistol which was a real pistol once the perimeter was set up and the k9 got there and they went into the woods to do the track they found a bag and some scattered money inside the woods so this guy panicked so hard that he actually dropped a large amount of money in the woods and they're on the run right so that manhunt is going on meanwhile Chief Russell has the license plate of the vehicle the other two drove away in. So the chief and and other investigators run the license plate, and they were able to track down the owner of the vehicle that left the gravel road with the two bad guys in it. Actually, it was a driver and the two bad guys. And they track down the driver, and the driver takes them to a trailer park where he dropped off the two bad guys. Okay, now the driver knows he's in a shit pile of trouble. Back then, cell phones weren't so prevalent as they are now, right? But anyway, they had to be involved somehow. Now, it's believed that the driver of that getaway car probably was involved as a lookout in the bank robbery because one of the dumbass criminals left a walkie-talkie in the bank in the excitement of the robbery. Well, there's no reason to have a walkie-talkie unless you have somebody else that's helping. Now, that's never able to be proven. You know why? Because, believe it or not, even in 2003, and you've heard me talk about cameras before, 2003, inside the Hibernia Bank, fucking cameras weren't working. Can you believe that? Inside a bank on a Friday, which typically banks are going to hold their most money on Fridays because people come to cash their paychecks, etc. The inside cameras weren't working. Outside cameras, yes. Inside cameras, no. Go fucking explain that to your insurance company. But I don't get it. I just will never, ever understand why places have cameras that don't work. Just like in the Christopher Pell story until death do us part that I did that episode, the Popeyes kills his wife violently inside the Popeyes and the fucking cameras aren't working. I don't get it. So back to Hibernia inside. We can't say other than what the eyewitnesses told us exactly what happened in the sequence was, or you can't prove it other than from witness testimony because you got damn cameras don't work anyway so one of them leaves a radio behind which tells me they had contact with the outside which is kind of smart i mean if i'm gonna rob a bank certainly i'm gonna have somebody outside looking for the police and communicating with me but, you know they couldn't prove it that guy cooperated and took him to the trailer the trailer owner said that one of the suspects was there dressed in the dark clothing and was acting nervous and wanted to get out of the area extremely quickly. 
the trailer owner takes that suspect and gets him a hotel room. All right. So the investigation is still rolling. They roll to the hotel. And I mean, y'all, you got to remember this is hours later after the fact. And they get to the hotel and they take the door and they find some more evidence, some wrappers from the bank, et cetera, inside the room. But the bad guy is long gone. Good police work. Yeah, I think so. But it would get even better. And let me tell you this statistic so you understand. And you can go look this up. This is no shit. In the United States of America, the average bank robbery only nets three to $5,000. The FBI keeps the records on it, right? So at the end of the year, all the bank robberies that happen, it averages out where the bank robbers only get three to $5,000. I mean, shit, you can get more going to rob a dope dealer on the street corner or going to rob a Burger King or something and you're liable to get more cash. I mean, it's just a really shitty choice of a place to rob normally because all the cameras and security systems they have and the die packs that can explode on you uh, once you get a certain distance from the bank. Well, Bernie didn't have those. If they had, it would have been really easy to identify to people, right? Because those die packs, they go off after such a distance from the bank, they explode. And that shit, you can't get it off. I mean, it's there like it seeps into your pores. I mean, I don't care if you get acetone and take a shower and you're not getting it off. I mean, but Hibernia didn't have that. And they didn't have the cameras on the inside. And the robbers were able to get access to the vault, which is just unheard of. But... I don't blame the employee for opening the ball. Shit, I'd have done the same thing. I mean, I train the people. Now I do consulting work uh, for large corporations. I tell them when the armed robbery happens, your main goal is to get these people out of the door as quickly as possible. I said, what do you do during an armed robbery? You do whatever the fuck they tell you to do because your main goal is to get them out the door as quickly as possible. So they, they were able to access the ball. Now keep in mind my statistic, the average bank robbery. Three to five thousand dollars. Y'all, you never believe how much money this little Hibernia bank had in this little small town America. The audit was done after the robbery, and I'm rounding it down some, but approximately three hundred and fifty three thousand dollars these assholes got away with can you believe that i mean hell if i'd have known the cameras weren't working on the inside if they had three hundred and fifty three thousand dollars i might have robbed the fucking place myself i mean geez louise so they got away with three hundred and fifty three thousand dollars and some change i mean that's a big score but they weren't very skilled robbers if you will due to the fact that they left a radio behind the one guy took the time to sexually batter the one bank employee. And as the investigation progressed and the vehicle and all the evidence was collected, their shit was everywhere. The fingerprints, DNA, and then the one dumbass that didn't pull down his mask all the way until he was entering the bank was later identified by a bank employee. So I'm going to stop it there for this week. This is part one of Stick 'em Up. Now, why would you tune in for part two? Because shit 
get stupid. I'll tell you about the rest of the investigation, the apprehensions of the bad guys, the trial, and ultimately the most outrageous appeals process I think that I ever been involved with or heard of. It's just crazy. So we took a break from murder this week and we'll conclude stick them up next Friday. And I'm telling you, tune into it, listen to it because you're going to love it. So I'm Woody Overton, your host, a real life, real crime, the podcast until next week. Don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Thanks. Okay, y'all. I told you before the episode began that I was going to do some shout outs and notifications. And the first thing I want to do is thank everybody for listening to the show. You're unbelievable. Amazing. And y'all response is just almost overwhelming. Our numbers don't lie. We are doing, on average, over a thousand downloads a day. So right now, as I'm recording this, we're at 47,000 downloads. By the time you listen to this, I would suspect we'll be over 50,000 downloads in what, 10 or 12 episodes or whatever. It's phenomenal. It's only because y'all are liking and sharing and telling people about us and you're tuning in to listen every week and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and your support of real life, real crime. It's awesome. Okay. And spe- speaking of supporters, we actually have several new patron members that came on board to support real life, real crime, the podcast this week. And I'm going to give them a shout out. And y'all patron is a service where our fans, if they want to, can pledge a certain amount of money a month and for that you get certain benefits right and tier one is a two dollar pledge and that's a shout out by me and access to the hotline episode which we dropped i think our third one yesterday and the of course the response has been overwhelming tier two is the hotline number, a discount in the store, a shout out, uh, our merchandise store, Real Life Real Crime, a shout out by me and access to one free, what I call mini episode a month, which we keep under lock and key. In tier three, you get everything from tier one and two, plus you get an additional full bonus episode a month so but the y'all it's a way to help us offset some of the costs doing the the podcast and it's really really appreciated i just can't say thanks enough but we have our new members miss sadie apple feller from greensboro north carolina miss sadie i really really appreciate you taking the time to reach out and support us and make the pledge and i appreciate it and then Miss Amy Clement, C-L-E-M-E-N-T, from Livingston, Louisiana. Well, y'all heard me talk about Livingston. That's right here in my backyard. Miss Amy, we really, really appreciate you and really appreciate you supporting us financially. And it's awesome. We love you. Then Miss Stacy Sprawling, 
S-P-R-A-D-L-I-N-G from Hallsville, Texas. Miss Stacy, thank you so much for becoming a patron member and supporting Real Life, Real Crime. It's really important to us, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. And Miss Alicia Bess from Cleveland, Ohio. Miss Alicia, I really appreciate you becoming a patron member and supporting Real Life, Real Crime. And Karen Travels. Miss Karen, you're awesome. Thank you so much for supporting us through Patreon on Real Life Real Crime. I appreciate it, and it really helps us out. We love it, and we love having you as a listener. And Amy Ardon Fowler. Y'all, I worked with Amy and her husband at the Sheriff's Office for many, many, many years. And more importantly, Amy's father was a detective. When I made detective, he was already a detective, Robert Ardon. And he was just one of the coolest cats you'll ever meet. Never got fazzled or razzled or dazzled by anything. Taught me a lot, a lot of what I know. And a really good cop, really good detective, and funnier than hell. Maybe one day, hopefully, I can get him on. He's retired now. But, Robert, hope you're doing well, brother. Love you. So, Amy, thank you for joining Patreon and supporting us. I really appreciate it. And the Firebird up their pledge from a lower tier to our highest tier. And Firebird, I know who you are now, but you know I love you and I've known you forever and you're a sweetheart. So that's it on the new patron member pledges. I love y'all and I appreciate it. All our patron members, thank you so much. It doesn't matter what tier you are. Now, the rest of our fans. If you can't become a patron member, I don't care. I love you anyway, and I thank you for making us such a success. And please, if, if you want to support the show, you want to help us out in any way, then just tell somebody about us and like us and share us. And y'all, don't forget about our private Facebook page, Real Life Real Crime, friends, fans, and crew run by the best team of moderators my dream team these ladies are fantastic and if you're not a member of the page send a request and they'll get you approved it's a private page there's a lot of fan interaction a lot more episode discussion a lot of episode promotions and giveaways and things like that it's really cool and we're over like 760 members now and it's been i think two months so it's growing rapidly, but go there and, and use it. And then we created Real Life, Real Crime, Lanyap Group. And Lanyap, y'all, is a Cajun word meaning free or bonus or something extra, right? So this is an extra group page. Actually, my wife Cindy created it for our fans because we had such interaction on on the crew page people are just blowing it up and a lot of our fans have different hobbies or interests or crafts or things that they make or sell or like jenny white from california's husband sent us these coins that he hand engraves and stuff so we created this page so our fans could get together and share whatever it is that they love me i love hot sauce and beer and i want to trade it from people <laughs> local beers from around the nation or the world. Well, y'all, we're, 
We are 47,000 downloads in 83 countries across the world now. That's 83. So if y'all join that page and you want to trade some beer or hot sauce or local food items or sell whatever you want to sell, that show off, showcase off whatever your hobby is, it's just something laying you up extra free or bonus for our fans and another way for them to interact. Um, it's pretty cool. So check it out. And that reminds me that we also have our lanyard button, y'all. If you want to support Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, and you don't want to do patron, totally get it. If you want to make a donation, there's a lanyard button on the page, and you can donate whatever you want, a dollar up to whatever you want to. And the lanyard fund, of course, will help us monetarily, but it also gets you an automatic shout out on the very next episode of Real Life, Real Crime the podcast and patron members don't forget about your discount in the merchandise store y'all in the merchandise store we have some really great stuff it's at rlrcpodcast.com so go there and check it out great stuff and i know it seems like i'm going on forever right y'all we have our own youtube channel now so you go to youtube i didn't know anything about youtube before we did this but you go to YouTube and, and you search real life, real crime podcast under channels and it comes up. And what it is, we have every episode that I've done. Plus, we have some camera stuff that I've done, some broadcasts from different locations. I did one from Biloxi. I've done one from Natchez, Mississippi. I've done one from Lafayette, Louisiana done one from down here at canal bank club which was the beginning for me for the case overkill and so we're going to continue to do that and we did one from our little favorite mexican restaurant so if you want extra bonus material or you want to see us versus just hearing me then check us out on youtube and subscribe to it and then we're also on twitter and instagram and of course the now three pages on facebook so i don't want to take any more of your time please tune in next week this story doesn't have all the violence etc in it uh, stick them up that the other one you know our normal episodes do but wait until you hear the stupidity of our criminal justice system sometimes it's going to blow you away but anyway i'm your host woody overton thank you thank you thank you until next time, don't let me catch you down or murder by you. Bye.